of the Lord in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, when we were there, there was a lot of things to take in. Uh, one of the things that you got to remember is that when John first came there, he had never been there before. And he had never been to this place before. He was caught up in the spirit and had never gone there before. And so it was a place that was uh, foreign to him. And I don't know if you've ever traveled into other countries, but I'll never forget as a 19-year-old teenager preacher uh, going and preaching. And I, I remember when I went into Mexico, things were different. Uh, even in just Mexico, just crossing into that border. We've stayed in Texas every day, <coughs> but when we stayed there, we rode across to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, every every single day, and I remember going over there, and the cultural shock was just totally different. I can remember everyone warning me, and everybody has war stories of all kinds of things, and they tell you, don't drink the water, uh, don't drink the water. But I'm going to tell you something, if you're thirsty enough, you're going to have to find something to drink at some time or another. And uh, so I drank the water, I survived, uh, but it was cantaloupe water, and so maybe the cantaloupe killed all of it. But I'll never forget pulling up to this place, and they said we were going to get some tacos. And I, in my mind, I was going, I'm not ever eating over here, ever. You can't get me to eat here. And uh, we pulled up a little bitty place, and it was a little guy like maybe out there at uh, Main Street and Gardendale now. Had a little taco stand, and you get three tacos for 50 cents. And in my brain, I was like, there's something wrong with that. That can't be actual meat if you can get it for 50 cents. Uh, you can't even get that at Taco Bell, and there's just like half meat. So, <clears throat> and I remember I wasn't eating there, so I didn't. And the next day they were like, well, you'll eat with us tomorrow, Pastor. We're going to go get some chicken. And I was like, no, no, not me, because I'm not going to watch the guy like wring its neck and kill it and do all that stuff. Not that, you know, around here I'm fine if we were in the country in America. But I was different, and uh, we put up at a church's chicken, and I was like, yes, Amen. Now, I know that place, so I'll eat there, but um, the cultural shock, if you've ever been anywhere different. Uh, when we went to Israel, man, it was just crazy being in a, a foreign land. And uh, when you walk into that place, although you're going to most places that are tourist places in Israel where they have much money, it's uh, still a little bit different when you get out of those little tourist areas and stuff. But uh, going to Belize, a uh, cultural shock, you know, it's uh, very different. Um, the possessions and things are different. Uh, even their false gods and things that they worshipped in the Maya ruins and stuff like that in the temples and seeing people in the images as they are thrown over into the fire and they're burnt as a sacrifice and stuff. You look at that and you go, man, I, I'm in a strange place. Well, this past Sunday morning, maybe you felt that same way. In Revelation chapter 4, it was different. Um, John's trying to explain a place that we've never been and trying to put it into terminology that we could understand and we're sitting there going, you're, you're talking about these four living creatures that they had, the appearance of an eagle flying at, the appearance of a calf, all this stuff. And when you think about that, uh, in the words of my mother, I'm just going to put it plain and simple. She said, when I first read it, she said, I thought, that's kind of freaky. You know, I don't know if that helps you in the southern terminology, but she was like, that's kind of weird, you know, and you think, this is just strange. But I want to go back again tonight and to show you that if, you've re if you're a Bible studier, if you've read your Bible, you've, you've heard about these already before. And uh, I want you to look at it. Look at Revelation chapter number 4. We're going to start with verse 1. It says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Look at verse number 7. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was as a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, uh, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, 
uh, and is and is to come. Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us. As Andrew has already prayed tonight, God, we pray, Lord, that you invade this place and, Lord, that you just speak to us. Thank you, God, for an opportunity to come to a house of worship tonight to open your word and to break this wonderful bread of life. And, Lord, we depend upon you. We depend upon the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, just as we read this past Sunday, how the seven spirits of God are as a flame before the throne. God, we need him tonight to show us the understanding of these scriptures. God, we can't understand these things with our carnal minds. That's why the word of God says it's not a carnally discerned scripture. It's not fleshly discerned, but it's a spiritually discerned book. God, we also know that the word has told us that it is a lively book. It's sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, Lord, to the dividing of sunder, even to the fatness and the marrow. Lord, that it divides the soul and spirit. God, we ask you tonight that you would do that dividing. Lord, we pray that you would just kind of cut away the things and put the things where they need to go and place them right on our heart, in our mind, Lord, so that we would have a greater understanding of this book. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You know, before... I know you may think that I may be hung up on this, but I'm really not. I, I want you to know about these four creatures before we move on. Uh, if you were here Sunday morning, you know we talked about those 24 elders and the 24 seats or thrones that they're sitting on with the crowns of gold. And I told you that there's nowhere in scriptures that angels are ever called elders, and so that can't be an angelic host at that time but that it was a representation of all of the believers from Old Testament past to New Testament. And the way I look at it is that it was a beautiful plan of God, that God had a perfect plan to bring people to salvation uh, by him, by his name. And those 12 tribes, those 12 patriarchs, as they worked through the Old Testament, and then we moved to the New Testament, we have the 12 apostles that God sent out to do the work of the Lord and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and those things are probably a little bit easier to understand. We look at that and we go, yes, that's, that's simple, that's understandable. Then when we got into these four living creatures, we began to, I, I began to watch the faces and stuff. And even Sunday night, I, I really gave a lot more information about how they not only represented the living creature, that they were living beings and they were an angelic host before the throne and they were reflecting God and what they saw on the throne I actually told you that also in a representation, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you remember we talked about the four Gospels and how what they preached about and what they focused on and how we could even see that uh, even in the throne room and in the courtroom of God that that's going to be present there that day. We'll be judged by the Word of God. One of those books in the book of Revelation, chapter number 20 and 21 over there that we'll be judged by is the Word of God. And we're going to be judged by every word that we spoke and we're going to be judged by every word that was written and given by God. And so when you look at that, it, it, it sometimes it, it almost scares you, but we're going to kind of go back in some scriptures. And I want you to write some of these things down tonight if you got time and if you got a pen and paper. I didn't do any study notes tonight because I really want to try to, uh, some people told me Sunday, they said I couldn't write it all. I couldn't write it all down because I was trying to pay attention and trying to listen. And I know how that is. Uh, Y'all just pray that at the end of all this, everything is different for me this time. I normally write an outline and preach from and preach points and have it in my mind and, and, and give it out. But uh, I'm also going back now and, and typing it out manuscript and going to put it together for you. And uh, that way at the end of this study, you, if you'd like to have it and give it to other people, hopefully it would be in a book. But the first thing I want you to look at, if you look back with me, and I'll try to go back into these verses a little bit. I want you to look where it says in verse number 6. It says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like in the crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, 
It says, we're four beasts full of eyes before and behind. In that scripture, please understand that it's not translated. It's not accurately translated as a beast. And I want to show you why. There are two words that we're going to talk about that mean beast in the Greek. This word here is Z-O-O-N. It's Zoon. It's the name of it. And it actually, the Greek word, it means that they're talking about that it's a lively creature. That, in other words, that it's independent of itself, just as Brother Matt is independent in his own live body and I'm independent. That's what they're talking about, that it's not connected to anything in order to draw its life source, but that these are created beings that are independent of themselves, and it's zoon. And there are only two other times in the New Testament that they're ever referred to as in the sense of the word beast talking about an animal itself. But in those two references, one of them is in the book of Hebrews, and it was talking about those beasts that were offered as a sacrifice could not make the people that came too worthy. What it was talking about was not beasts like a wild animal or a, or a boar or an ox or anything like that. What God was talking about, even in the book of Hebrews, translated zoon, it means that those animals had life within them. And when he was saying that the life that was in that animal, the zoon, the life that was in that animal, it could not make people perfect. Because even in the life blood of that animal, in the life source of that animal that was offered on the sacrificial altar, they had to come back every year and do it again and again and again. This word is a, is a root word, or actually it, it takes off of the root word, it's zoa, Z-O-A, and that means just living, life, breath, zoa, that we have that in us. But there's another Greek word that the Bible talks about, and if you want to write it down, it's in Revelation chapter 13, and we're not going to go there tonight, but Revelation chapter 13, and it's in verse number 1, and you can spell it this way, it's T-H-E-R-I-O-N, it's therion, T-H-E-R-I-O-N. The Greek word there, therion, is actually talking about, in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 11, talks about when the beast comes on the scene. Talking about uh, when the Antichrist comes, when the false prophet comes, when the beast comes on the scene. And it's used throughout the rest of the New Testament as describing wild animals. In other words, when Jude was talking about these brute beasts, these wild animals, in other words, they were animalistic. They had no understanding than just what their natural instinct was. And so that's what separates this. That's why when you look at this scripture, they are not beasts that are animalistic and do not do anything but just instinctively operate. They are living beings is what God says. And they're translated as living creatures that operate on their own independent as a life source, but they're all giving glory back to God. One of the things that these four creatures are doing, these four beings are doing, they're worshiping God. They're giving honor back to God. They're reflecting the characteristics of God. They're doing all of these things. And church is something that we should do also. Listen, it's better that we understand this because we're going to get in chapter 6. Not this Sunday. But we're going to get into chapter 6. And when we get into chapter 6, we're going to start seeing that these four creatures and some of the things that they do. We're going to get into end of chapter 5, hopefully this Sunday, if we can make it to the end of chapter 5. I'm going to try not to give so much, but we're going to try to get there. And we're going to see that they're still worshiping before the throne. And that all of a sudden, a whole angelic host of thousands upon ten thousands and thousands of thousands, Brother David, are going to join in at this time. Amen. But it seems to say that in this scripture about these four living creatures, that they're angelic creatures, they're angelic living beings, and that they are different 
And they have a different mode or a different job than the other angels in what they do. Now, if you go and look in the Bible, you're going to find out that the word angel is in the Bible 191 times. And you're going to find out that when it says angel in the Bible, even the Hebrew word and the Greek word, angelos, it actually is this right here. It could be even you. Now, don't look at your husband and go, I told you I was an angel. Um, what that means is, is messenger. There are times that the word of God uses that Greek or Hebrew word as a messenger, uh, even in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You remember every time, unto the angel of the church at Sardis, unto the angel of the church at Smyrna. It was talking about the pastor, the messenger of that church, the pastors of that church. But it didn't use the word elder, and it didn't use the word bishop, and it didn't use the word pastor, but it used the word anglos, which means that that's the messenger, that God has given the message to the messenger. And so out of 191 times, there are times it's talking about people, but it's also talking about angelic beings. And you have to understand that when uh, they were about to march around the walls of Jericho, and the Bible says that the captain of the host of the angels came down and spoke unto him and gave courage. In my heart, I believe that's a Christophany. I believe that's Jesus Christ, the captain of the host of all angels. He's not an angel, but he's the captain of all of them. He has preeminence over them and priority over them. And so I see Jesus giving command. But many times in the scriptures, people go, well, I, I don't want to be confused about it. And so that's why I want to help you understand about angels tonight. Here's what we've got going on in the church today. We believe that when people die, that, you know, they become an angel when they go. That's not scriptural. That's not a scripture. I don't want to hurt your feelings. and Please don't get offended by me. I know that we love our children, our husbands, our wives, our moms and dads, things like that. But they don't become or turn into an angel and get their wings. No matter what It's a Wonderful Life says, it does, it's not that way. Um, we are actually, listen, it's even greater to understand that we are the sons and daughters of God. Amen. Uh, that we are not going to be an angelic being. We are the redeemed. We're going to be able, in the book of Revelation, we're going to learn later, and I still try to keep this in my pocket, we're going to be singing a song that the angels don't sing, the song of the redeemed, those that have been born by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And another thing that we talk about angels is that everybody in the sense, and, and don't get me wrong, they think we all have, each of us have this guardian angel, and each of us have this Michael and this Gabriel and all these other things and stuff. Uh, we look at angels, and if you go into the bookstores today, most of them look feminist. They look like women and other things. But in the scriptures, we've only ever had masculine names of angels and stuff. Um, we, get, we get all wrapped up in this. There, there's a man that was from Canada that come down and, and had a horrible ministry. Horrible, I'm telling you. It was a satanic, ungodly ministry, and he used the name of Jesus to declare all this stuff. His name was Todd Bentley from Fresh Fire Ministries, and He'd go and kick people in the altar until God told him, said, if you don't, you know, DDT the pastor, that they wouldn't have revival. And like I told you, if you want to try to, we'll have something if you try to DDT me, right? But an 80-year-old woman was in the altar, and he said that God told him to kick, him, kick her with his biker boot. I'll tell you something. God didn't tell nobody to do something like that. And uh, it come to find out he's a false prophet and actually left all the, everything, you know. But he was saying that he could teach you how to raise people for the dead, from the dead for $6,000 if you came to his college and all of this stuff. And here's what he said. In order to get people, because listen, I'm telling you, it's very dangerous. Religion is very dangerous because many people go by their emotional strings more than they do the word of God and the truth. 
And that is our biggest fault today in the house of God is going by our emotional strings instead of going by what the scripture actually says. And the way that you can test that is, listen, it's all right to have emotions. Thank God for joy and happiness and peace and even weeping and crying and mourning. That's wonderful to have those emotions. But that's not where we obtain our salvation. Well, because we have salvation, it causes us to be emotional. But because we get emotional doesn't mean you got salvation. And so we need to understand the scriptures. And one of the things that he really got people on was, is he said and declared that an angel came down and talked to him. And he used this background testimony to say that an angel named Emma (laughs) came down and talked to him and stuff. And that gave him this command and did all of these things and gave the whole church the the spirit of laughter. and, And people would fall out and like cackling laugh and all this stuff. And listen, church, when you look in the scriptures... It's just crazy, and people don't go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge that guy's message by this word right here. You know what? I challenge you all the time to be the church that was found in the New Testament called the church at Berea. When Paul went and preached as what man of God that he was, it says they searched the scriptures to see whether those things Paul said were so. And that's what we should do. No matter if it's Billy Graham, well, he's not going to preach a message anymore, but no matter if it's Billy Graham or Adrian Rogers or D.L. Moody or Steve Abney or whoever comes in here, we need to make sure that it ties up with the word of God. And uh, angels get this huge uh, worship rap. They get this uh, because of their 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 state of supernatural, their state of of angelic uh, being, they get this almost worship sense. Even in the scripture where when John was talking with one of them and bowed down before him and the guy, the angel of the Bible says, was like, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. Don't worship me. You worship the one coming after me. You know, same way John the Baptist, you know what I mean? He told all of them, he said, it's not me. He said, it's the one coming after me. That's the one that you should worship. And so angels get promoted all in this big high position Uh, Even what we would call an archangel, that only one of them was declared that, uh, Michael. And you look at that, uh, and you hear about Gabriel, and you hear people talking about Gabriel blowing the trumpet. And he's going to blow the trumpet, and all the people are going to come up, and stuff like that. And we understand from this Sunday that the Bible says that the voice that came out was the first voice that I heard as of a trumpet talking with me, Jesus Christ, saying, come up hither, amen. So the Bible says that we're his sheep. And we're going to hear his voice. And when the rapture of the church takes place, we're going to hear the voice of Jesus. He's not going to send someone else. What did they say in Acts chapter number 1? He said, why are you standing here gazing, looking up? The same Jesus going away is coming again in like manner. He spoke to them. He was in bodily form. He showed them the scars. He ate with them. And then he went up into the clouds. And the Bible says that the same one that's coming back is going to come back in the same way. Amen. He said he's going up that way, bodily form, he's going to come back. I'm glad that Jesus is not going to say, you know what, I'm tired today, and it's the day that I should go get my bride. You go down there for me and get her. I'm glad he's going to come himself. Amen? He's going to come and have a wonderful entourage with him. So, first of all, in defining them, that's what we did first. We defined that this is Zoan. This is a living creature or a living being and not just some kind of wild, crazy, animalistic beast. Now let's do the second thing and let's discuss them. Look with me in those verses. The Bible says in that next verse, the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was as a flying eagle. But look at what it says here. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. When you look at that, the first thing we see is that they had... Eyes everywhere, before and behind. They had 
different faces that differed one from another, and they had six wings that were about them. So here's my question to you tonight. Have you ever read about this before? Have you ever heard about this other than just Revelation chapter 4? The answer is yes. We have heard about this in a different place, and we're going to go to there in a minute. And I want to ask you this question. What kind of angels are described here? There's only two angels that actually are given names of being an angel throughout the Bible. There are cherubims or cherubs, and then there are seraphim. They're the only two. They're, but they're, they have roles. They have classes. And almost in a sense, when you think about this, what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, for if my kingdom were of this world, then what would happen? Then they would fight for me. Then talks about, listen, an angelic host of army that would come and that they would fight and they would do the will of God. Daniel chapter number 9, Daniel was praying to the Lord at morning, at noon, and at evening. The Bible says that he prayed, what was it like, for 20, 21 days he was praying and asking the Lord what was going to happen and what was going to come about with uh, Jerusalem. But what happened? The angel that finally came said, I was hindered. You know, because why? He was fighting against the prince of this world, lowercase prince, talking about he was fighting against Satan. And so God has an angelic host that also battles for him. If you could actually have some kind of spiritual glasses that you could put on right now. You ever been to the 3D movies and you put the 3D glasses on and things change and you get nauseated and stuff and take them back off? You know, you put these glasses on. If you could take these uh, spiritual glasses and put them on and see this angelic war and demonic war that is going on all around us. I believe it would terrify most people. But there is a battle that's going on. The Bible says that Jacob, when he laid down and saw the ladder ascending or, or coming out of heaven, he said that he saw angels, what, ascending and descending, ascending and descending, going and doing the work of the Lord, back and forth. What did Jesus say in John chapter number 4? He said, I'll tell you what, if you could understand it, he said, I'm that ladder. He's the ladder that they're going up and down on, amen? You know, it, it, people sing that song, you know, Jacob's ladder, I'm climbing on and all that. No, you're not. But anyway, songs need to be spiritually and doctrinally correct. Amen? They need to be right because they tie on our emotions. But they were going up and down doing the service of the Lord. If you can imagine the demons and the devils, the imps that are around trying to destroy you. Think about it. They are loose. They're, you say, Brother Steve, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe in demons and people being possessed by demons. I'm telling you something. It was in the Bible and it's in our days today. We may label and call it different things, but there are possessions of demons and demonic spirits and evil things that are going on today. Then there are also, thank God, an angelic host that is helping and doing the work of the Lord. And if we could see that, I believe we would understand that there's a greater battle going on than just what we want to watch on TV. There's a greater battle going on than just the things that we say or just getting on the interstate. Listen, the Bible says that only one time is the word seraphim used in the scriptures. Only one time. And you would think if they were a classification of angels that they would have been talked about more, but only once, and we're going to talk about it later in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. But 91 times the word cherub was used. 91 different times it was used in 66 different books of the Bible. It was used over and over and over. One of the first places that you'll see the word cherub used is when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. 
Not because God did it all, it's because they sinned. That's why they rebelled against God. You know, I'm tired of people always saying, well, if God's such a loving God, why did he put them out of the Garden of Eden? They put themselves out of the Garden of Eden. Stop blaming God, amen? It says, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, you understand, people, now th- this is what we think sometimes. All right, well, if, if, if they knew that they ate of that tree and they sinned, and immediately if they could go to the tree of life and they could eat of that, why didn't we do that? We wouldn't have the fullness of God's plan that's laid out in this Bible. We wouldn't have the fullness of God's plan totally at all. God has a perfect plan. Sometimes we don't understand it with our minds, but we've got to trust it with what? With our spirit. And so when he drove them out, he put the cherub there. And so looking at this cherubim, they're actually guards. They're actually keepers. These angels are actually, and listen, I, I don't picture these porcelain beauties that we buy at the store. I don't picture a cherubim that's standing by a flaming sword to have wonderful rosy little cheeks and flowing hair and a bow in it and all that stuff. No, I picture one that when you walk over to it, you go, no, I'm, I'm not going to go that way right there. You know what I mean? I, I picture some that are standing there as, as soldiers of God, as, as angels of God, and they are actually guarding, and they're not going to let you through. And the Bible says that that's the first time that we see them. Another time that we see them, and we're going to talk about it later, is in Ezekiel chapter 10. The Bible talks about cherubs over and over and over. You know what they did? They attended the throne of God. They ministered to the Lord. They ministered to everything uh, uh, in heaven. Then we see it here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 5. It says, And over the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. In the book of Hebrews, they were even referred back. And what he's talking about is the Ark of the Covenant, that on each end of the Ark of the Covenant, there was an angel that was there, a cherub, one on this side and one on the other. And they were facing and they were looking down at the mercy seat. But the Bible gives us the understanding, especially in the book of Exodus, that their wings came out. These were only two wings, and they came out, and they touched, and they were overshadowing the mercy seat. And that would be the throne of God where he was. The Bible talks about in Exodus, look at these scriptures if you want to write it down. I'll have them here, but if you want to write them down so you can read them later, that'd be awesome. But it says in Exodus chapter number 25, verse number 18, let's talk about the cherubs that were found in the tabernacle. He says, and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them. It says, in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. Look at verse 20. It says, and the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. The Bible says that they would create that. So you can picture this, and we'll show you in a minute a picture of it, but you can picture it in your mind that if this is the mercy seat, one of those angels coming across, and they're looking down. Actually, they're on their knees, they're bowed down, and they're looking down at the mercy seat, but their wings are overshadowing. And it's almost in the image of if they're reaching out together. Uh, come here, Patty. If they're reaching out together, and they're covering that, and I want you to see this uh, more than anything. But if this was the mercy seat, then you get on that side, and you're, 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 you know you're my angel. But, uh, yeah, I was going, you're my angel. No, I'm just kidding. But, but they would come, and they would look down at the mercy seat, and when their wings would cover it up, it, it was just a beautiful image of that's where God would be. 
And, and in some sense, it's almost like this. Reach out and grab my hand. Come on, grab it like that right there. It's almost like that where they were touching and they would grab. And I want you to keep that in mind and remember that. I'm sorry. I want you to remember that. Not only in the Ark of the Covenant did you see the cherubims in the tabernacle, but the Bible says in Exodus chapter 26, he said, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine linen, blue and purple and scarlet, with cherubims and cunning work shalt thou make them. The Bible says that even the coverings that they went inside, the walls that they had, remember they had these golden boards, Brother Reggie, that were up, uh, and on the inside it all would just shine off of that gold. Well, on the outer of that, they had those curtains that would cover up that outer side to where you wouldn't see the gold. When you were, when you were a Philistine or you were a, uh, uh, an Egyptian or a Babylonian, you were looked down at that tabernacle, there was nothing that you thought about that. You looked at it and you thought, Brother Matt, that, that thing, who cares about that? Who cares? There's nothing glorious about that because you know why? It had four layers of different skins that were on top of it. When they built it up and put the golden boards inside the silver sockets, they had ten curtains that went on the outside of it. They had angels, cherubs, sewed all in it. And then on the front they had a veil. And then had a white tent or a white curtain that was all the way around it, the linen curtain and stuff. And when the people looked from up top, they would go, well, who cares about that? They don't really have a whole lot of stuff. They didn't know what was on the inside. The Bible even declares about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. It says that he was calmly to look upon. It says that he was nothing. You know what I mean? It, what, it, it was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Amen. But when they beat him and beat him, precious blood that's better than gold that can wash away all our sins came out of him. Amen. Because why? He was the God in the flesh, and the flesh may not have been nothing, but what was on the inside was everything. Amen? Amen. I'll amen that. Listen. So the Bible says these angels were sowed, these cherubs. And so, <laughs> let, me, let me say this for you, and this is probably going to offend you. Come Valentine's Day, when you see these fat little naked kid angels, cherubs, and they're singing Jonas Brothers songs and stuff like that, that's not a cherub. It's not. They are not. No, no, no. They're not shooting arrows at hearts. They're standing in the way and guarding and attending to the things of God. Not only are they guarding and attending the things of God, but listen, if you were to go into that tabernacle, if we could go in there, and I've always wanted to build one. If you could go in there, I, I just don't have the gold. If you could go in that tabernacle, you would walk in and look. To be a reminder, you would look down and know you're still on earthly floor. You are still from the dirt but you looked around at that wall as that seven branch menorah was lighting the light of the gold flickering off that wall and the table of showbread with its bread on top and the altar of incense that was right there that was the prayers of the saints going up when you looked and you would see the smoke of those incense prayers going up you would look above your head and you would see these curtains that were ten curtains that overlapped each side and come over the top and you would look up and see cherubs that would be sewn into that linen and it would have colors of blue it would have colors of purple it would have scarlet and all that stuff and you would understand that you are shielded and God's house is shielded by the angels you know this Sunday I prayed and I normally haven't ever done that in a long old time I'm gonna tell you something Satan loves to come and to interrupt in the services and I just felt the need Lord just bind Satan get him out of here 
you know, we don't need that. We don't want satanic thoughts and things of the devil. We want, we want God, we want you to cover this place and let your cherubs overshadow us and let us know that you're, you're watching over us and taking care of us. Listen, not only that, but then we move to this thing called the veil in verse 20, uh, 31 of chapter 26. He says, and you shall also make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. So right there, the veil in the tabernacle that separated you from going into the Holy of Holies. Before, only once a year could the high priest go in there, and he did not have the breastplate on, he did not have the ephod on, he did not have the out linen, linen with the, uh, uh, the bells and the pomegranates and all that stuff. They didn't tie a rope around him, and if they didn't hear the dingling of the bells, that they'd drag him out because he's dead. He went in every year, the Bible says, with one attire that was only worn one time a year, and it was a full white, ephod linen it was a full linen that was just a covered all i mean not ephod a tunic linen that covered him all the way and when he got through offering the sacrifice and putting the blood on the mercy seat he bound up all of those clothes they took it outside the gate and burned it he didn't wear it again next year they had to come holy and pure before the lord god and when they did that look can you imagine there they are the cherubs they're sewn in that veil and he had to put inside that veil before he could ever go in there he had to go outside to the brazen altar and he had to take a hot coal brother edward that was soaked with blood from the animals that were offered on it and he would put it inside of a censer and before he would go he would reach over there and grab a handful of the incense which was called uh stacti annika galbanum they and frankincense they would grab that and he would go in and before he went brother joe he would sprinkle that incense on top of that hot hot coal and it would begin to burn and imagine that bloody smell of that coal and imagine those sweet senses and brother Adam then he would put it underneath that veil and he couldn't go in there until the smoke of that incense filled that holy room of God and when he went in there because the Bible says that he could not see God and live and so the Bible says that when he had to fill the whole room and God's presence was shielded by what was called the Shekinah glory of God that it filled up that room and he would go in and offer the sacrifice, uh, the blood sacrifice, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat until it covered it. Once a year, every year, he had to do that, church. There's those angels that are sown all in him. And you can see these angels, Brother Matt, as they're just standing there at guard, as they're standing there at attention. Not only that, but they're also the attendants of God. They're at God's mercy. They're at God's mercy of word, ministry, whatever they were commanded to do, go and do. You go and stand outside here of this side of Eden, and you stand on that side of Eden, and I'm going to put a flaming sword in the middle. Angels, yes, Lord, and they stood. They did the work of the Lord. They acted independently out of themselves, but they did the work of the Lord. You know, the Bible even teaches us, if you wanted to write this scripture down, you can go in the book of, uh, uh, I think it's in Ezekiel. I'll have to find it. Ezekiel chapter number 28 verse 14 it's describing Satan and how he fell and it actually says in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 14 that he was a cherub that he was an angel that he was one that attended and did the service of the Lord but it also called him this one that was a great light and a fiery light church these cherubs were ones that did the service of the Lord but then here's the other ones seraphim if you would take your Bible and turn over with me to Isaiah chapter number six and verse number one Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel, and then, and then you're going to go home, and um, you're going look at, to look at each other and go, what? What's he talking about? Amen? But uh, I, I just want you to see this and to be clear about it. Isaiah chapter 6, 
and verse number one. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, it's talking about his righteousness filled the temple. It says, and above it stood, look at this word right here. It's the only time we read about these angels, seraphims. Each had six wings, or each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he did fly. The Bible says in verse 3, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, whose whole earth is full of his glory. Now, that, that, that sounds familiar, right? It sounds familiar from Revelation chapter 4, right? Verses 6, 7, and 8, and they're talking about in verse 8 that they would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Look at verse 4. It says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. When you look at that scripture right there, we see that this seraphim, as it came out, this, this seraphim came and and uh, they were, had six wings. It says that with two of them they flew, with two of them they covered their face, and two of them they covered their feet. And you think about it for a moment, what did the Bible say to Moses whenever he came before the Lord there in the burning bush? He said, take your shoes off for the place you stand is holy ground. And they're covering up. What's the Bible say about man? It says about the priesthood. He said the priesthood had to wear robes that were all the way down to the hand and all the way down to the foot, that it would cover these things, and that they would have to have a tunic on their head that they would cover it up. It said it had to be done that way. Why? Because God did not desire to look upon sinful flesh. And that is also represented in that seraphim, that angel that's there. You had the cherub, and then you have the seraphim. And you've got to really listen on this part. The Hebrew word for seraphim is seraph. It's uh, S-E-R-A-P-H, seraph. The only time that it's used differently, and this is what's so awesome, the only time that it's used is in the book of Numbers. You know what a seraph was? Remember the Bible says the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they disobeyed God and they were grumbling and unbelief and they were murmuring. So what happened, Brother Reggie? God sent fiery serpents into the land in order to do what? It bit them and many of them died. But he set a brazen serpent on a pole and said that whoever would look to that brazen serpent would live. The word seraph in Hebrew is actually fiery serpent. And that's a description about what these angelic beings are. They were a representation of the fiery, fiery angelic host. It's not that they are the cherubs, but they are two different ones because we have in the scriptures where it says some were cherubs and some were seraphims. But when you look at it, it describes what they do. They were ministers of fire. The Holy Spirit of God is a minister of fire, the flame of fire. The Bible says in Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 4 that they were represented by four lamps that were burning there, right? The Bible says, listen, that we would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
Ain't you glad to be baptized with the Holy Ghost? Amen. Then we got people in church praying all the time. We need to be baptized with fire. You don't understand when you're talking about fire and you're talking about the baptism of fire and you're talking about a minister of fire, you're talking about the judgment of God. When John said, the one coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire, it wasn't talking about that those two things were together. But what it was talking about is that, listen, you can be baptized with the Spirit of God and receive Him and join Him and be saved and receive the Holy Ghost of God, which will be a what? A light unto you, not a flame to burn you up, but a light unto you to show you the way. Or when God sends these four living creatures to grab the four corners of the earth and they blow upon the four winds of the earth in the book of Revelation, there is judgment that's going to come. And the Bible says in 1 Peter and in Revelation that this earth, is going to be baptized in fire. It's going to be dipped into fire. You say, Brother Steve, I just don't know if all that stuff is real. Why do we think that the first part of Revelation chapter 1 is real? Why have we just came out of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and we know that all seven of those churches were absolutely real churches? They existed there's evidence that they were there, but then we're going to go into chapters 4 all the way through chapter 22 and go, well, I just don't know if all that's real. It's the problem is, is we're not understanding what we're seeing there because we've never been to heaven, but we've got to take the whole Bible into account and understand this, that there are cherubs that do the work of the Lord, the ministry of the Lord, the ministering to the Lord, and the guarding of the Lord, but there are also seraphims that come in as judgment, and when they fly in, what did this angel do, this seraphim do for Isaiah? The only thing that he did for Isaiah was it says that he saw them, they were flying around with two wings, covering up their face with two, and they were covering up their feet with two others. And I know that maybe kind of weirds you out, but just hang with me. But what did they do? They went over there, Brother David, and he got a coal off of the fire, and he brought it over to the tongue of Isaiah, and he says, you are now purged, and your sins are purged. What did he do? With the judgment of God, that angel ministered the judgment of God to Isaiah so that what? He would be holy, he would be pure, he would be right in what he would be speaking. Amen? Isaiah's fixing to speak the words of the Lord to Jerusalem, and he needed to have the truth. Now, when we look at how they had six wings, understand this. Mankind, humanity, was created on the sixth day that God created the earth. Everything that dealt with us was done on that sixth day. And God deals with us in certain numbers. It's not a mathematical thing. It's not a crazy, you know, weird Bible thing. But God does do things in great numbers. Three being the wonderful trinity, right? When we go to four, that being the number of the earth and things that happen on the earth. The Bible says Four corners of the earth, four winds of the earth, four seasons that we have, all this stuff. When we deal with five, what does it represent? It represents the wonderful grace of God that completes things. When we deal with six, even Antichrist is going to come. What is the number of the Antichrist? We understand. Six, six, and six. That deals with what? He's utterly trying to destroy, and he is the preeminence of the evilness of mankind in the flesh. He's going to just be as evil as everything can be. The number seven is the number of perfection. God's wonderful number of perfection. What's the number eight? The number eight in the Bible is new birth. The Bible says there were eight souls that were saved on the ark. Amen. Not only that, but Jesus Christ was put in the grave, but he arose on Sunday, which would be the eighth day of the week. Amen. Having new birth. Does this not excite you? Huh? I feel like I want to do like Russell Crowe on Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Huh? Are you with me? 
Not only that, but the number 10, the number 10 is not perfection. The number 10 is completion. So when Daniel in his prophecy puts 7 and 70 and he puts 7 and 10 together, what does he have? God's perfected and completed plan that's going to happen for Israel. It's a good book. It's a wonderful book. And so here are these angels that have these six wings, and he's dealing with the ministry of men. They're going to come. In the book of Revelation, these seraphim, these fiery serpent-like, fiery seraph angels are going to come. I'm going to tell you something. You really need to pray in the next few days, in the next few months, about people that come to our church on Sunday mornings. Because there's some people that come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, even Wednesday night, that are not saved. And they're going to be hearing some things that's really going to be fearful to them. You need to be praying for your pastor in the next few weeks to help understand, hey, next few months. Man, we don't know. It may take a year in order to get through all this stuff. But you need to pray that God would show these people, this is the stuff that's around the corner. This is not the stuff that we're going to say is 2,000 years from now. This is the stuff that is around the corner. And Isaiah saw the seraphim. God showed us all the cherubim. But I want you to listen, and we're going to close. I want you to, if you would, turn over to Ezekiel real quick. Just turn to Ezekiel, and then we're going to close from there. Ezekiel, if you'll just take a few rites from Isaiah, you'll find it. And I want you to hear this. And uh, Ezekiel, let's just do chapter number 10. I was going to do chapter 1, but uh, if you're writing notes, you want to go home and read it. Ezekiel 1. Verses 4 through 28, you can go and read that. But let's just go to Ezekiel chapter 10 and verses 1 through 10, uh, 22. You got it? All right, listen. Ezekiel has already seen something. Sister Kim, Ezekiel in chapter 1 has seen uh, God. But, but Brother Matt, he didn't see God's throne room. Isaiah did. Sister Gail said, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up upon his throne. And the glory of his righteousness filled the temple. But Ezekiel doesn't see God on his throne. So you've got to have this in your mind. You've got to understand this if you want to see this image and understand the differences in it. He saw God coming in a chariot to this earth and was going to judge. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up in his throne room. Revelation, we see him high and lifted up in his throne room. But in Ezekiel, he's going to pass judgment on Jerusalem. And he sees this image. And the Bible says that when he looks up, he sees these angels, and he says they have, listen, he says they have four wings. They got feet like calf at the bottom of them. He said, and around these angels, he said they got eyes within and without. Listen to this crazy description. It says that not only, Brother Lee, do they have a face of a man, face of a calf, but it actually says, <laughs> don't let this mess you up, mama, but it actually says it has a face of a lion facing this way, a face of a calf facing that way. A face of an eagle facing this way and a face of a man facing that way. So on all four sides, there was this, there was this thing and these, these faces. And it said that when it moved, it never moved backwards but went wherever it wanted to. Now listen, nobody's been taking drugs to write this stuff. It's just that we can't understand foreign things if we've not been there before. Will you please hold on to that in your mind? If you were to go to India today and see Vashti and Ishtar and all these false gods with, with multiple hands and breasts and see all of this crazy stuff, you would walk through these temples and go, what is that? What is that? That's half man and calf and all this stuff. And all of this stuff is just crazy. But you're in a foreign land and you don't know what it is. 
And Ezekiel has never seen God. Isaiah has never seen God. John had never seen God. And when they did, they couldn't take it all in. So don't let it terrify you. But you understand what he's saying is, he said that they had all these faces. They had four wings with eyes and everything everywhere. And it says that when they moved, they never moved backwards, but they went wherever they wanted. So in other words, what Ezekiel is saying is that when they did go backwards in, in like the way that they were moving, they didn't seem like they were going backwards. They were just there. When they seemed like they were going to the right, they never went backwards. They were just there. And it does mean something. Let me help you out. Listen, we're going to go home. Y'all are, are going to chew on this for a while. Look at verse number one. It says, then I looked. We're going to wrap it up. I promise you, if you'll hang with me, the ball will come down right in the glove if you're praying. It says, then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, it says, there appeared over them as was a sapphire stone, and the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man clothed with linen and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherubim, fill thine hand with coals from the fire between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in in my sight. Now, listen, they, they also had these, the Bible says it was a wheel. Now, Ezekiel said it was a wheel within a wheel. Now, a lot of people think that that's like a wagon wheel, that there was this wheel here, and then there were spokes, and then there was a center wheel. That's not how the Word of God describes it. It actually describes it that there was this wheel turning this way, but then inside of that there was a wheel turning this way. So it was like a gyroscope that it was just, and what it is, listen, it's talking about that God's plan and his will and his awareness and his omnipresence and his omniscience, it says it's everywhere. It says that when you look at it, that it's going this way, but it's going this way. And it's saying, don't you dare think that you can get by without God knowing and understanding all things. And if people were going to try to run and to hide from the judgment of God, he was saying the will within the will can go any way it can. And also when he says that these angelic cherubs were actually going forward all the time and never going backwards but could go wherever they want, you know what he was saying? He was saying that God's work, God's word and God's work never goes backwards. It never goes backwards. God's always moving forward. And even in science today, scientists will tell you in the creation of the earth that we are not going backwards. We are constantly moving forward to something. That's why they want to try and wrap it up as an ev evolution and all of this stuff because it's created getting better and better and better. But that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that this earth is not becoming better and better and better. It was perfect in its creation, but it is moving forward constantly now in the condemnation of sin. And it is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And and that scientists will teach you that it is coming to a climatic end someday and that it's all going to be done away with. They want to try and blame meteorites and they want to try to blame all these other things. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be when God says it's over, it is finished, it is done. Amen. And when it does, it's all going to come to that end. Science is actually correct in a lot of these things, but the way that they teach is not the correct application. So here we are. We're getting worse. So the Bible says the cherubims went in underneath Underneath those wheels, Miss Martha, and it says they picked up a whole bunch of coals and that they were going to scatter them upon Jerusalem. God was going to judge. That's what's going to happen. You think about it in Revelation. The Bible says it's going to happen. It says that he's going to send judgment. This earth will melt with fervent heat. Look at verse 5. And the sound of the cherubim's wings, he says, was heard even in the outer court as in all, a voice of the Almighty when he speaketh. <laughs> it says, and it came to pass. 
Then when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take from the fire the wheel, uh, fire from between the wheels and from the, between the cherubims. It says, Then he went in and stood beside the wheels. The one cherubim stood forth in his hand. And he says, And he went to the other cherubims unto the fire that was between the cherubims and took thereof and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. Now look at this. All of the wheels, all of the things, it says they all looked alike. Look over with me, if you would, in verse number 10. It says, and as for their appearance, it says, they four had one likeness, as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. And they went, and they went upon their four sides, and they turned not as they went. They didn't turn to the right or left, but they went to the place, to the head. They followed it, and they turned not as they went. It says, and their body went, and, excuse me, their excuse me, and their whole body, and their backs, and their hands, and their wings, and the wheels, and the full of eyes around about, even the wheels that they had four had. It says, as for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O will, and every one of them, look, had four faces. The first face was of a cherub. It says the second face was of a face of a man, the third face was a lion, the fourth face was of an eagle, and the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river of Chabar. You look at this, we've seen this before, and don't think that it's crazy, but what Ezekiel is seeing, he's saying when God comes to judge, he's coming with perfect judgment. And he's trying to explain these angelic beings in the flesh. You know, and I know that you would probably have a better description of them because of the wisdom that you have, but it would be hard to explain them. It would be hard to tie into terminology what they saw. And so all of these things, Brother David, that, that Ezekiel talks about, that Isaiah talks about, every one of them all deal with things that were right there in their present time. Right there in their present time. They, they understood the, the royalty of the lion. They understood that the lion of the tribe of Judah would prevail. It talked about one having the face as of a lion, one having the face of a flying eagle, one having the face of man, one having the face of all of this. But you say, all right, brother, see, well, Revelation 4, what are they? Are they cherubs or seraphims? If you look at it, to me, I believe that they're both. You say, why would you think that they're both? They're both there in the presence of God in heaven. There's going to be fiery ministers of flame. There's also going to be those cherubs that attend the house of God. But in the closing of this, I want you to think about the first place that we see these cherubs used as they actually were made. It's in this uh, Ark of the Covenant right here. And the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be the, the seat of God. The Bible says that he told them to, come here, Patty, to make a seat, make a place for me so that I can come and dwell among you. So they said, we'll build him a house. God told Moses, sit right there for a second. God told Moses and said, you don't get to build it like you want. You're going to build it the way I tell you to. And this pattern is patterned after what is in heaven. And so they begin to lay out this work, and God gave so much detail, Brother Matt, and he begins to tell him about these cherubs. Put them everywhere, put them everywhere. Put them in the curtains, put them in the, the, put them in the uh, veil, put them in the, uh, uh, the ceiling, put them everywhere. Not only that, he said, one of the most important places is put them on the lid of the mercy seat. Uh, in the New Testament, it's called Helestrion. You put them on the lid of that mercy seat. And you remember, we were talking about a while ago that those angels would be there, and they were, I've tried. They would be there, and their wings, they would look down at the mercy seat. 
and they're staring at it. And what they were doing when they were reaching out, understand that in Revelation it becomes more clear. Because the Bible says as those are present, they're all reflecting back to God. But this being the seed of God. Listen, Brother Edward, all my life I thought God sat on the mercy seat part of it. God is a spirit that has no behind. God is a spirit. But he says, I will meet you above the mercy seat. And what these angels are doing, church, as they attend the work of God, is it's like a throne. This is a created throne in that image. And they are holding it out as God comes and he dwells there. And listen, the blood of Jesus, listen, is what the angels are looking at that makes it all possible for God to dwell with us. And in heaven, in the book of Revelation, there are those angels again with six wings doing the work of the Lord, doing all of these things. But they're at the throne room once again. And God gave us an Old Testament picture for the mind. Ezekiel said when he saw God's judgment coming, he said those angels had four wings. But Brother Steve, Revelation said they had six. Isaiah had said they had six. We got a problem with our Bible. No, we don't. Well, we got to understand that that was coming in judgment and actually what was in place of the wings at that time, it said it had feet like calf. And what it was talking about, that they were coming to this earth to judge the earth. They were going to put their feet on this earth and they were going to tread upon all of the things here. So when we get to heaven, we understand, listen, in the throne room of God, in that wonderful place where we say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, they're not showing any of those feet. They got wings that's covering them up. You know why? Because there's going to no, be no need for judgment at that place. Later in the great white throne, yes, that's going to take place at a different time. I hope that you really grab a hold of this stuff. I know that it seems crazy. My son, Andrew, loves it. He's like, Dad, that was awesome. But he's all wrapped up in these uh, Avenger movies, too. So he's like, that's awesome. You need to do that all the time. But Patty's like, I got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. I think I do, but it all, it all boils down to all of this, and we'll pour it out. Angels were created to guard and to attend the things of the Lord. And they were created to honor Jesus who gave his life and to be the ones that uphold and bring glory to the throne of an almighty God. That's what it all boils down to. Don't let the book of Revelation scare you. Don't let it knock you out of whack. When it talks about all these eyes, you know, it says there were eyes all over the angels, all over the wings. It says, Ezekiel said, they were all over the wheels. In the wheel, they were everywhere. What it means is that God sees and understands everything. And it means that these angels are not in the dark about it either. They understand it and are doing the work of the Lord. Amen. That's why when Daniel prayed, what happened? When Daniel prayed, God sent an angel who had understanding of God's ministry, and he declared it to him. Amen. We want that same thing. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you always.